Welcome to another episode of Mick and Ori's Classic Cars. I'm Mick. And I'm Ori. And in this episode, we are going to continue with Darren with his 348 GTC and a couple others, the 360 Moderna and the 456 GT. I'm really excited to have Darren back. Thanks for coming in again because we did, really didn't get to finish off on what the track version, what you did on the track, sorry, with the 348 and the 360 Moderna. So thanks for taking the time to come back and visit us, Darren. I think we start where you we left off. I mean, that track. So what did we do on the track with the 348? That's what you bought the car for, yeah? I did. That's exactly right. So I think the last time we were speaking, I, I, I mentioned the, the Winton um, experience. You know, it was a car that was really built for little circuits like Winton, uh, not a high-speed circuit. Uh, the car handled, you know, brilliantly and it was light, it was agile. Again, a real surprise packet, I think, for a lot of the people that were there that day. After that, did some Adelaide, you know, the Victorian Park Classic. Yeah, Classic Adelaide. Classic Adelaide, uh, did a few few of those and then sort of had pause to, to rethink my strategy around tracking the car as... Um, as I recognised or realised that the car was starting to become um, known, uh, was starting to be recognised, as you mentioned last time, as being the first of that lightweight GT series. Or Prices are starting to VHS. appreciate now. Prices are starting to go up and I'm thinking, you know what, maybe it's not so clever to be tracking this thing. And in fact, I, I had a, an interesting little exercise at Vic Park. The car started running a bit rough. And I thought, gee... I wonder what that is. Our mechanic was there that day and he had a look at the car and he went, oh, you might have a cracked manifold, Darren. I'm not too sure. He said, you're losing power. And I said, well, I don't know. I keep going out there and setting faster laps each time I go out, so I don't know. It doesn't feel like it. certainly doesn't feel like it's running on, like it's going flat out. Anyway, after we we took it down to his shop after the we'd finished the, um, the weekend and what had happened was we found out that it was actually running on seven cylinders, so it, it, it had cracked a valve. So I needed to do and, and still, and still creating lap records, and still doing very well, which was hilarious. But you know, the, the the sad story about that was that you know I had a complete major service done just prior to that weekend, uh, which is not an, a very cheap exercise in a three four eight three because the engine's got to come engine, out. That's in there. right. So you end up they are quite expensive to do, and so of course now I've got to get a top end rebuilt. The engine's got to come out again. The belt's got to get changed again. So. I ended up um, paying double for what was already an expensive exercise the first time around. Pity it didn't happen earlier. It would have been much nicer had it happened, could only do it once, but it didn't do that. So Just on the belts, the fact that you're tracking the car and using it for track, do you have to replace the belts more often than the three-year interval? What did you find? I um, I didn't replace the belts in a three-year period. Um, I found that the, the car was you know, perfectly fine after five. And uh, that's actually more and more literature is around the five years for Ferrari rather than the three that the original books came out with. So more are talking about changing the belts every five. That's right. And look, I, I if you're going to be working the car hard like I was, I, I certainly I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking it past five. No, and it's also, but, it's but not did, only the belts, it's, it's actually the bearing because sometimes the bearings will fail before the belts fail. So, so, so how often were you tracking the car? Oh, look, I mean, it was... In a year, let's just say. It would get a couple of outings, two or three a year. Right. Um, so, you know, get out to Malala or to Vic Park or one of the um, Ferrari rallies. Um, so, you know, it, it got to go on circuits at, 
you know, Winton and Malala, got to go to Barbagello um, and, and do the Vic Park stuff as well. So it got um, it got to do Albert Park during the Formula One. Um, so it, it, it got a good outing over a long period of time. And then, as I say, I got to a point, it wasn't so much the, the fact that I had the top end rebuild, it was more that I started thinking about, well, what if what if I did have a little bit of a, a, a an accident in the car? It's irreplaceable and in the first instance, but... But given that the value was going up so significantly, I thought it just didn't make sense really to keep tracking it. So so is that when you looked at your original thoughts about a 2 plus 2 and you'd bought the 456 GT? It was, it was before that. So the, the 456 GT came about as, again, it was this idea of this is a very selfish pursuit, more selfish when you're you know, going out there and tracking a you know, car like a Ferrari. And I thought, you know, I'd really love for the family to enjoy the experiences with me. So that was the reason for going the 456. It was also the timing, to be honest, with the 456. The difference in exchange rates at the time between Australia and the UK were incredibly good at that For time. Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it hasn't been that good since. So I bought the 456 in 2011, I think it was. So it was well before sort of coming to this conclusion that, that the 348 should be retired. And there wouldn't have been many 456s in Australia available also. Yeah, yeah. So the UK must probably... There weren't. And also the, the UK at the same time, the market was quite depressed. So I ended up buying the, the 456 at, at what now seems to be an absolutely ridiculous price. And um, I knew that, that whatever I did, for however long I held on to it, it would have been, it would work out fine. So I ended up buying it with the view that I was going to daily drive it. That's how silly I was at the time because I could pick it up as cheaply as, as I was picking it up. So even now that I think back, gee, daily driving a 456 V12 around town was probably the most ridiculous idea I think I've ever had. But I was convinced... Not really, Michael. I'm someone that drives theirs to the office quite often. Well, it's not daily driving. It's not though. a daily driver though. That's right. The occasional one I get, but I was literally sold my... I had an M3 at the time, sold that, and I went, no, nah, this is going to be my car. Gated shifter or automatic? Uh, everything I buy to date... And I should never say never. Um, everything to date that I've purchased has been gated shifted. So, so you didn't yeah. consider a 456 GTA, which is the automatic? No. And any particular colour you were looking for or you weren't fast? I was. I was looking for dark colours. So I was looking for either a, a dark blue or black with um, a lighter interior, tan or cream. And as it turns out, my car was Le Mans Blue or Tour de France Blue, I can't remember. Le Mans Blue, I think it was, um, with a tan interior. So it was lovely combination. It, it really was a very, very pretty European car. European spec. Yeah, very pretty car. And I think that's the colour that they the brochures came out in. It, it's exactly that colour. That's correct. And normally with a brochure, when it comes out in that colour, that's the colour that you aspire to. Yes. Absolutely. That's yep. a signature. Yep. Right? That's a signature of that model. Oh, look, and I remember years ago, I, I used to live and work in Cairns and, and um, my screensaver used to be a, a blue tan 456 GT sitting on my computer. So so there was a lot of serendipity and, and other things going into that sort of pur- purchase decision. Not a lot of rationalisation or r- not a lot of rational thinking or logical thinking, obviously. Um, no, the emotion about, plays a, a fair that, bit. That was, um, yeah, easily my most emotional purchase and, you know, unfortunately didn't really work out that well. And um, when you say, unfortunately, didn't work out that well, what do you want to talk about there? Traps for young players, Michael. Um, I did do a PPI once again, but there was much more surface rust um, underneath the car. It wasn't identified at all as part of the PPI that there was any sort of rust. 
But in Australia, when you bring it in for compliancing purposes, if there's any suggestion that the car might have anything more significant than very light surface rust, and it's quite difficult to determine that on a visual inspection, uh, then the car won't get through the compliance process. So when my car arrived in Australia, again, nothing was even mentioned about any type of rust, whether it was surface or otherwise. Uh, The guys that I had commissioned to get the compliance plate rang me up and said, this car's not going to get through. And I went, why? And they said, well, it's the rust is just structural. And um, anyway, so they refused to touch it. I later found out that they were they were actually, the business wasn't going well. And, and I think there was other reasons for doing all of that. So I brought it over to Adelaide and it sat in my shed for two years before I got a second opinion. Um, and I got a second opinion and, and it basically was, nah, there's, that's, that, that's okay. We'll work around that. We'll work through it. Um, and you're really not allowed to do anything with the cars. That That's, that's sort of against the rules. But, you know gave it a little bit of a spit and polish and, and it, it, it sailed through. It, was, it wasn't any structural rust, it was it was fine. Is it also the case that um, because it's a UK car and when they do their inspections over there, they treat that as quite normal because of you that's, know, the that's ex- salt on the road? So that's exactly right. So the, the, the reason why the PPI didn't pick it up was because the guys didn't see it as being significant. So, you know, the trap for young players there... For the UK. Yeah, For the correct. UK. So the trap for young players there is if you are going thinking about importing a car into Australia, Australia, be very, very, very careful about just what the extent of rust might be in the car and what's acceptable over there is absolutely not acceptable here. So, you know, you either got to do a bit of treatment over there or, again, make absolutely certain that um, that it is only surface rust and there's nothing beyond that, uh, then you'll be fine. As long as it's treated over there before it comes into Australia, you're fine. But, you know, bringing it in the way I did created all sorts of problems. Anyway, you ended up getting that compliance. I did. Now that you didn't track at all, did you? No, no, I didn't do anything. I, I, to be honest, I only I think I had two drives of it. I drove it once from Melbourne to Adelaide the first time, sat it in the shed, and then I drove it from Adelaide back to Melbourne to do a little bit of compliance work, and then from Melbourne to the rally, which was in in Canberra. Um, so it didn't go on track. I, I just dropped in a day and went on the lunch run with the guys. Then I took it to Bathurst, uh, did a lap of Bathurst in it. Um, again, wasn't tracking it because it was 60 kilometres an hour, um, public roads. And to the Gold Coast, which is where the guy was who was doing the final compliancing of the car. And that's where I left it and um, and flew home. And, and last time I saw it, my, uh, my father, who was sort of in his 70s, early 70s, his comment was it was the most comfortable, most beautiful car he'd ever been in in his entire life. It's so certainly we, a so good we traveled, Yeah, we travelled, what, 3,000, 3,500 kilometres in it from Adelaide to Melbourne to Canberra to, to the Gold Coast and didn't miss a beat, drove beautifully. It was as comfortable as, as anything. And, and I remember going on the lunch run, chasing uh, 430s and, and the like, and as long as you've got, and you'll know this, Michael, as long as you've got the car in the right gear yeah. and you hit that pedal, those guys aren't going anywhere. They're, they're, you're going to be sitting right on their tail and they're, and it shot, and again, it, it, it shocks them. How does that old thing keep up with me? You know, great big old heavy barge, and it's sensational engine in that. Now I can concur with that. I've been in Michael's quite a bit, and it is a quick, quick car. It's a beautiful car. When you get it rolling, so, you know, once it's on the move and you find the right gear, they go like a rocket. They Plenty are. of torque. It's just off the line. Yes, but, correct. Uh, but otherwise... They're a bit uh, heavy, and, but, you know, you get them moving, they are... Sensational. So Beautiful a couple car. of things. With the GT, uh, the 348 GTC, you sent someone over to look at the car. Yep. 
you didn't do that with the four, five, six. You no, didn't? and we and we wouldn't have because I I figured I'd done all this before. I know exactly what's going on, but and we wouldn't have picked this up either, by the way, because remember we were operating on the PPI. PPI didn't raise anything, so you would never have picked it up. We would yeah. never have picked it up. So the 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 trick for your listeners, if they're ever contemplating going through this process, is just remember this this whole expectation around Rust very different between and PPI rules in in each country are completely different. Correct. What so, they look for. So you need to say to, to the, whoever's doing your PPI, I need that covered because it's a problem here in Australia. Which we, which I did on the 360 because it was UK import. Uh, I bought it out of Sydney. But one of the big things when we did the PPI for me was make sure the rust. Is there any rust? Is there any rust? And the other question I have, so you've got your boyhood dream that you've bought, the 348 GTC, your second Ferrari, which is a little bit of a, you know, a purchase on a whim, and, you know, you're thinking you're doing the right thing by the family and then it's sitting in the garage for two years. Yeah. What were those two years? Was that, was that gut-wrenched? I'm gut-wrenched yeah. thinking about it. You must have been – but did you take it out on the brand or did you take it out – you know, who were you angry with? Yourself, not Ferrari, hopefully. No, I wasn't – I definitely wasn't angry with Ferrari. I was angry with the group that did my PPI. Yeah. Um, I went down a number of different uh, legal avenues initially to see whether or not I had some recourse, but that was just a waste of time. But with that, though, if you look at the differences between when you bought your 348 GTC compared to the 456 GT, both were UK. The difference that I've picked up in what you've said is you had a guy from work see the car. If you had someone see the car, it wouldn't have made a difference, do you wouldn't think? wouldn't have made any difference, no. It was that subtle? It was that subtle. When Joe went over to look at the GTC, he wasn't looking at Rust. He was just looking at the general condition of the car and we accepted that the PPI had been done and done properly and that, that any issues would have been picked up. Went for a ride in the car, generally had a you know quick visual inspection. Everything sort of ticked the boxes in relation to what the PPI said. And had, had he done that with the 456, it would have been exactly the same. So unless you put it up on a hoist, have a look around. I mean, oh gosh, when I finally put it up on a hoist, it's hilarious when I think about it. It took me two years before I put it up on a hoist to have a look at it myself. And I just, you could I just believed everything. No, I put it up on the hoist and I said to our friend, where's, where's the problem? Am I looking at the wrong place? It's just, this is my car up there, isn't it? And he went, yeah. He said, I think there's been some porky pies told all around. Got to check these things out for yourself as well. So it's Finding the right person, someone yeah, you trust, someone you've right. got a great relationship with. We've said that the whole way along from the PPI gentlemen to our technicians, our mechanics. You know, you need to have that real strong bond and relationship with. All right, so we put that experience aside and now we're going to get to something really, 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 you know, fun, the 360 modern. How did that come about? Yeah, so I I needed to retire the 348. Well, I got it in my head that I needed to retire the 348 because the, the value of it was getting out of control and didn't make sense to track it. But go back to my initial thoughts around purchasing it in the first place, the whole point of having a Ferrari is to be able to put it on a racetrack. And so I thought, well, you know, if I'm if I'm going to retire it, what, what am I going to do? I need a car to put on a track. So I thought, well, the, the, the one that makes the most sense and was the most affordable was the 360. And so I started having a look around and I started conditioning my wife around this thought process, which she was not credibly supportive of initially. And your children, that they won't fit in the car? Yeah, yeah. That's, there's <laughs> a, this, there was a long game played on this one, I, I can tell you. This, so what year is this not, now, Darren? This would have been three years ago, probably. Oh, recent, so 2017, 2016, 2017. Yeah, something like that. Um, and you still had the 456 then or not? No, the 456 had been gone and it, it had been sold. So, you know, I was happy with just the 348. And as I say, until I got to this point where I went, well, 
I'm not sure this makes sense, which I think was around about 2017. I was looking, I, I assisted a friend of ours in identifying who also was looking for a 360 at the time. And I said to him, I found your car because at that point I hadn't quite, my long game was still on the short stages. And I found him the car and I said, look, he said, you, you know what, could I buy it? And I said, no, I can't yet, but, you know, happy for you too. On one condition though, when you're ready to sell it, um, it's mine. And he went, yeah, okay, deal. So that was the that was the exchange of the IP, so to speak, because I did I found the car. Interesting story. I found him another one last weekend. But anyway, that's an, that's a different issue. Um, we won't go there. Um, so he bought the car and was driving around, and um, it was every bit of feedback that I got both from him and from our mutual mechanic uh, was that the car was excellent. So 360 model, what year? 2003. So three, gated shifter colour? Uh, again, blue. Ah, you've gone dark France, again. Tour de France blue with a... Um, tan? No, it's... it's oh, it, navy. Would it be no, navy? No, no, actually it is tan. It is tan. Tan. Yeah, it's nice. it's a very light tan though. It's not sort of... It's it's getting closer to... I don't know what, what that middle one is. There is, I think, in the Ferrari catalogue, there's that shift because these days you can get it any colour you like, but I think back then... There was probably the tan and the crema, and then there was a colour in between, and it's that colour, the one that's in between. Okay, and t- talk to us about the differences in terms of feel between the 360 Modena gated shifter, of course, and the 348 GTC gated shifter. Well, there's, there's, enough, there's a whole range of really quite big differences between the two cars. The 360 is significantly more horsepower. I mean, that's a 400 horsepower vehicle the 348 was sort of like about oh, mine probably had a little bit more than stock standard might be 340 obviously a lot heavier car much more comfortable much bigger car six-speed gearbox instead of the five dogleg five in the in the 348 gtc as opposed to the six-speed in the 360 uh, the 360 sorry that's that was aluminium though was it much heavier than the 348 uh yeah it's definitely heavy well it's definitely heavier than the gtc remember that the, the gtc was a is a lightweight um, 348 so even a standard 348 would be a little bit lighter than a 360 I would have thought but the GDC was was a bit lighter again yeah, you know it's a, it, it is a definitely a bigger heavier car and it feels it in every way the steering was power steering as, as opposed to the the feel of the of the 348 GTC and you know you mentioned it before that steering feel in that car is very very sweet it's just a beautiful thing. It's heavy at slow speed, but when you get it moving, it really is just a lovely thing. You feel everything on the road back through the tiller. And Can that be a daily driver, do you think, in your opinion, the 360 model? No question whatsoever. So the, the 360 is, a, is the sort of car that you absolutely can drive every day. It is you know, far more reliable than all the earlier stuff. It's comfortable, it's powerful, it's, it's a nice thing. It's easy to drive, you know, obviously, with the power steering. So... But, you know, it feels very, very different. Though. And on as part of, you know, in terms of fun on the track, is there much difference or is it the older school feel compared to the more modern 360? The 360 to me, you know, you mentioned during the last conversation that we had about the, the way in which the 348 is represented as, as a, a pretty tricky handling um, car and been reported upon year after year by journalists who uh, unfortunately I think uh, just regurgitate the same story without actually driving one but the GTC was different it, it was all sorted it was very stable the 360 in my mind is a much livelier at the rear end than the 348 I find the 348 a lot easier car to keep the rear end 
stuck. I think it's also because the of the power that the 360's got. I've, I've been fortunate enough to drive a variety of 360's or more than just one, an F1 and also a, a gated shifter. And I do find that the back can go out quite easily, especially cold tyres or tyres that are a bit old. Very thing, very things that you have to consider when you you put your foot down. Yeah, I think I, I think that's true. I think the the power is definitely there, but I'm not sure that's the entire reason. I I just don't think it's quite as solid as the. GDC. So in the 360, what can I expect this weekend? I mean, I'm going to take it to the track for the first time. I've oh, you've never, never tracked it? I've never tracked it. It's going to be oh, my wow. first time. So I flick the switch. I put sport mode on. Yep. Yeah. Do you tell a big difference, sport yes. mode not? Yep. And look, I mean, I mean, what I would suggest you do is wherever you go um, in the hills or, or wherever you'd like to take a go for a little drive, um, just flick the sport switch on and off. You can absolutely feel the difference in, in the, the way in which the car settles. Um, I guess in sport mode. Uh, if on very bumpy roads, it unsettles the car, quite frankly, to a point where it, it can become too stiff, a little bit skittish. Yeah. yeah. So, but on a racetrack, it's just there's no question. You just flick the the sport mode on. And I don't think we're going to flick the other switch though, are we? We're not going to no, take track, track CST track. off. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, <laughs> have you done that, Darren? Yeah, I have. Um, <laughs> it's it's. Do you recommend it? Well, again, I uh, no. The, the 360, um, I think you'd have to be really confident in the car setup, your tyres. Um, I think I think you need to be really super confident that you've got everything right before you, you flick the switch. You absolutely can, but until you've done the work that you need to do, don't do it. Darren, you've been on a track a few times and so have I yep. in various various states, actually, matter of fact. Yep. Uh, so what advice would we give Ori for the first track day and he's quite nervous about it he wasn't actually going to do it and I sort of pushed him around um, his kids formal got cancelled because of COVID-19 and he's able to come so what advice would we give him the most important thing um, for any track day is tyres whatever you do make sure that your tyres are up for it that's not just about having a look and see whether or not it's got any tread left. Look at the age of the tyres. Look at the age of the tyres. Which which you've looked at, so that's okay. Yeah, very, very important. It needs to be the type of tyre that that you can trust on on a track as well and that there's lots of variations on various different tyres. And obviously if you are tracking a car on a a number of bases, you you do need to be really careful of the number of heat cycles that your your tyres go through. So would you recommend, and we've discussed this before with Michael, would you recommend having having a race set of track tyres and your standard everyday tyre? Yep. Yes, every every day of the week, I, I'd I'd suggest you do that. But again, you've got to be really careful with the heat cycle, so that there becomes a point where you know you track the car, everything looks fine, looks like there's plenty of tread wear on the car. They're not old, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but they they're done, and well, you do need to you do need to swap them out. Yeah, well, we talked about this, Ori, and I suggested to Ori that look, go out there, drive like you do on a normal road, but you can pick up the speed a bit. Don't change your lines if cars are coming fast behind you. Uh, you're going to take it easy first off. Absolutely. Do three or four laps maximum. Cool come down in. the brakes and come back in. Don't stay out there for five, six, seven laps. That's probably not a bad way of doing it. I mean, one of the things that you do need to do is build a bit of heat into the tyres and tight pressures is, is a big a big part of, part of all of that as well. So don't do anything early. You know, don't take any corners early 
quickly on cold tyres. Um, make sure you get the heat into the tyres. Make sure the tyre pressures are right. Check them both before and after. And, you know, feel whether or not they're right. I've got a great story about the GTC about tyres. The first time I ever took it out on a, on a circuit, and I was pretty careful. I wasn't doing anything silly. I remember driving it, and it was on the same tyres that came out from the UK. So I didn't do any of what we just said, by the way hence the learning, they were the same tyres that came across um, um, with the car. They were seven, eight years old. And I, I recall trying to hit the, the turn on the main straight at Malala, which has got a bend in it, which is fantastic that it's called the main straight. But anyway, there's a bend in the middle of the main straight at Malala. Quite a big bend too. Quite a big bend, but quite gentle. And I was trying to take that at, at some speed in the GTC and the car scared the living bejesus out of me it didn't want to stay in a straight line it want to move all over the place and when you're going around that bend at 160 kilometers an hour and your car just doesn't want to stay where you're pointing it it's a pretty frightening experience and i remember going away that day going well that went well i enjoyed myself but i'm not sure there's something wrong with my car and that's when i started doing a little bit more investigation about what the problem should be did some reading had a few conversations right need to get a new set of tires so i got a new set of tires next time i went out there that car ever since then i used to hold it flat through that um kink you know end up at what was i doing by the end of the main straight there probably 190 yeah and that was with the semi-slicks that was with the semi-slicks but again you, you could probably do that with a road tire anyway as long as it was a good quality road tire and your temperatures were right you could still probably hold it flat but you know, if if you if the tires are no good, the the way in which you get feedback from the car, it honestly it was the most frightening thing, one of the most frightening things I ever did. Okay, you, you guys have got me nervous. I'll tell you now. No, I'll no, tell no, you it's, now. It, it's fine. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy it, but you got me nervous. I'll get you a bit more nervous now. It is actually forecast for rain. Yeah, I heard that too. My <laughs> daughter told me that, and I said, "Oh, here we go." So well, you got your wipers my working. My wipers now. are working now. I'm going to ask one question, and it's your boyhood dream. And please don't get offended if I ask. Would you ever sell the 348 GT Competizione? Such a rare car, a collector's item, to be honest. Yeah, look, it's a really good question. It's one that I've been giving a lot of thought to lately, given that it's retired, given that I, I purchased it for a reason and, and have loved it to death. But it sort of doesn't feel right that it's sitting there. Do you still drive it? I mean, yeah, occasionally, but it's sort of not as much as I should or want to. And it's got to that point where I've gone, well, maybe. This would actually be better off in a in a in a collector's environment. I bought it to, you know, as I say, I I, I bought it to, to run on a track, a racetrack, and and to drive it hard. And you know, I have to think I've got a reputation for driving it really, really hard. Well, you're one of the elite few that have had the opportunity to be a custodian of this unbelievably uh, limited edition vehicle. So now it's looking for a new home. And you know, that's what I'm hearing, Michael. It's looking for a new home. Yeah, well, it's been it's been treated the way I think it was intended by the maker at the time, but now it's sort of got into that rarefied atmosphere of perhaps being behind a glass case or something of that nature these well, days. I, well, I've seen you on the track, Darren, and I, I must say you're very entertaining. <laughs> that's a, we'll call it very entertaining. And you enjoy the track time that you have, and I know that you would be feeling that it's no good sitting in the garage and not driving it on the track. So the 360 then, have you been able to drive that much? Uh, I know you've been on the track with that a little bit. That's That's been on the track a few times. It's been at uh, at Malala, out at the Bend. It's been around uh, Vic Park as well. The interesting thing about the 360 as well is when, when it is 
on song and you've got it moving well, it it can set some pretty decent times itself. So uh, actually being quicker around Vic Park in the 360 than I was in the 348, which I find a little bit surprising, to be honest. Well, it is a fair bit more horsepower, though. You're talking about 80 horsepower more or so. Yeah, but as I said before, not as easy to drive, I think. And maybe, again, maybe it's one of these things about why the 348's actually retired. Maybe I was being a bit gentle. Well, the other um, thing is... As opposed to what I was when I first got it. (laughs) The other thing is, though, Darren, I mean, you've driven the 348 a hell of a lot more than you drove your 360. So it could be that you were just more comfortable with the 348. You know, the GTC was your car. Yeah, and look, it, it's, it talks to you in a way that the modern cars don't as well. Uh, and I guess, you know, that's, you guys, that, that's the name of your podcast, Classic Cars. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's something really, really special about older cars if you can appreciate the way in which cars drive and feel. There are some old cars out there that that I think the experience that you get from driving them is much greater than any of the modern cars, irrespective of how much power or what they can do or, you know, where you can take them. Well, I'll vouch for that that because we we ended up driving to the Ferrari Nationals in Melbourne some years ago. You took your 360 and I took my... um, 308 GT4, the Dino. Yes. And uh, we did have some fun, and I love that car going over. The Great Ocean Road, uh, we stopped off overnight and then did the uh, track days. We did a lot of driving, and yep. it didn't miss a beat, apart from the spark plug leads coming out every now and then. Yeah, and I think once we hooked it up to that um, Tesla electric charger, it ran a lot better as well. <laughs> so That sounds like a story for another time. <laughs> certainly is, Ori. I think we could talk for hours on that one too. Darren, thank you very much for coming back and speaking to us about, you know, Three wonderful cars. Darren, it has been a pleasure. I love how you think because we love the gated shifters. We love the classic cars and we love our Ferraris. So let's keep it up and thanks again for coming in and we'll leave it there. Thank you, Ori. Thank you, Darren. All right. You can reach the show via email mickandori at gmail.com. And remember, if your car's not a classic, it will be one day. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.